Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing today? Doing all right? I'm doing great. It's beautiful. I mean, it's the fall. How many of you, is fall your favorite season of the year? Uh, Up until today when all the leaves that you raked up are back in your yard again, right? I want to welcome all of our campuses joining all across this region. If you're online, we're thankful for you. If you're inside, we love and pray uh, for you because uh, we are one family in Jesus Christ. And I'm really, really grateful to be able to say that. In two weeks, we're going to be having an extra special weekend, okay? And uh, of course, that's Thanksgiving weekend, and we won't be having services on Thursday and Sunday. It'll be Wednesday and Sunday, Wednesday evening and Sunday. We always do that. And we want you to be here because a lot of neat things are going to be happening. We're going to be celebrating the harvest and uh, so we've asked farmers to bring in their equipment, and uh, so uh, and it'll be supervised. But uh, they'll be able to like climb on like big uh, farm equipment on the outside. On the inside, you're going to have everything that you associate with harvest time, like everything that's pumpkin spice and apple cider, and we're going to be throwing bags in our lobbies. It's going to happen at all of our locations. It's going to be great. There's some really special elements that we're going to have in that service. And the most important thing is there are two announcements that are gonna be made in that service that just show you the blessings of God in incredible ways. So uh, I'm one of these guys, it's hard for me to keep a secret, but I'm keeping it, all right? And you need to be here that weekend to be able to experience that and you're gonna bless God right along with me. So excited about that. And and be able to celebrate Thanksgiving. And speaking of Thanksgiving, last Thursday we had something very uh, to be thankful for and I wanna just carry that over to today. So I know that you guys don't like all this and it might feel a little bit patronizing, but if you're a veteran at any one of our locations, we want you to stand and we wanna thank you for being a veteran for our country. Would you do that right now? (laughs) Veterans all over, would you stand up? All of our locations. I want you to know that I don't take it for granted that I get to stand up on this stage and I get to preach the word of God and people get to freely come to all of our locations and hear the word of God. And it's because someone is standing on that line defending our freedom. And I'm so thankful that you were willing to to take that step and say, sign me up and do that uh, so that we could all enjoy the blessings of freedom. And speaking of freedom, We're in a series called Behind the Curtain, and it's about the birth of Jesus Christ. And that's what he came for. He came to bring us freedom. So I'm thinking about this whole theme that we're going to be going through all the way up until uh, through Christmas time, Behind the Curtain. And uh, how can I illustrate that? How can I explain this or share this with you so you can understand a little bit more about that view into uh, this event that happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born. And I got this crazy idea that you might like 
an actual backstage pass. Like you would actually like to take a tour of what happens behind the curtain. Uh, uh, how many of you would like to actually take a tour behind the curtain right now? How many would you like to do it? Some of you are like, you know, some of you are like, we're like, are like good students in school. Like you, you raise your hand. And, and some of you are like doing this. So uh, no hand raising, okay? To, well, well in, in worship you can do that. But anyway, uh, by, by clapping, how many of you would like to take that tour? Would you like to take it? All right. That's really good because we already planned it anyway, all right? So just follow me. We're going to go back, and I'm going to show you what actually goes on behind the curtain. Okay, I'm picking up my, uh, my camera guy. And so uh, this is what it kind of looks like back here. Looks a lot more put together in the front than it does in the back, doesn't it? So let's come around this way. You'll notice that there's lots of wires on the floor, and so we have to put these things down so people don't end up breaking their necks when they come out. Have to have some lights back here for that. And then people know not to come out when they're not supposed to. So we have this back here that keeps people aware of what's going on. And then this is the door to the inner sanctum. This is the door to the to the backstage, well, you know, green room, even though it's not green, okay? So if you wanna come on back with me, here we are. The green room. Now you notice that there's, th this is where they get their inspiration before they come out. I think it's more like something like at Notre Dame where it's like be a champion today, they hit it probably. I don't know for sure. Uh, you know, this is where they're charging their phones because everybody knows they're on their phones all the time. Coffee going on. Hey everybody, say hi to the thousands of people that are watching us all over the place. Yeah, what, what, are, you, what are you eating there, John? Cinnamon toast bread, okay. So uh, a little bit further in, there's uh, our uh, shirts for uh, baptistry changing, baptistry changing areas. This is where like Clayton does all of his like makeup. No, no. See like, uh, look at here, uh, spiced hot cider beard oil right there. Uh, I don't actually use beard oil as you notice that anyway. Anyway. Uh, does some pra we do some practicing back here when we hit a note wrong, right, Loretta? And that never happens, though, because you guys are just that good all the time. All right, so let's go on out here. See you later. Everybody say bye to everybody. Okay, all right. All right, let's go on this way. We're going to go across. I'm going to show you something that people really never see. And uh, you may have been in there before because maybe you were baptized at uh, 48th Street and you changed everything. You haven't seen this. And so this is going to be kind of an extra special treat. And speaking of extra special treats, how many of you want to see our cameraman, Bodie? Hey, Bodie, you want to turn the camera around? Bodie, you want to turn the camera around? You just want us to continue to go on the tour. Okay, okay, all right, all right. All right, so let's continue walking through here, you know, backstage stuff, trusses and lights and stuff. But what I'm going to show you right now is our broadcast booth. And our broadcast booth is where our signal goes out to all of our locations live. This is where it goes to everyone that watches us online. This is really kind of a neat thing you probably never saw before. So we're coming in here. There's Elijah. Everybody say hi, Elijah. Elijah. Ever say hi to the world? Okay. And uh, look at all this stuff. Like, do you think I would know anything about how to do any of this stuff? 
All of this stuff has to be set and prepared in order for all of our locations and all of our uh, people that are watching online, everything that's recorded that goes to inside, it all happens here, right here in this place. And uh, you can tell it's pretty technical. It takes a lot of work uh, to, to make this happen. So we're gonna leave him alone. And we're gonna come back here and uh, let's get back up on the stage. Oh, one more thing. Um, all of our performers wear uh, inner ear monitors. They look like hearing aids. They go in and they, they can hear the mix they need to. This is where all of that uh, gets put into their ears. And then they can actually control it with their iPhones or whatever smartphone they might have. Right, Bodie? Okay. So let's uh, walk on out this way. Got a camera here that takes the shot of the drum. So if you want to know how that drum shot happens, that's how that happens. And I'm gonna show one more, share one more thing with you. You notice I don't use a pulpit or you don't see notes. Well, I actually do have notes and you can see them on that, on that TV right there. So that's just kind of one of the ways that uh, we can keep it from uh, being in the way. So how'd you, how did you like it? Did you think it was okay? <laughs> kind of neat, isn't it? All of our locations, you can kind of see what we do behind the curtain. And now I'm gonna ask the question, why did I bother to show you that? I did that for a reason, and it's because I want you to know that this service, it doesn't just happen, okay? It literally, and I'm not, I am not overstating this, it takes thousands of hours of commitment by staff, by volunteers, across 11 locations, physical locations, and then other ministry uh, points to pull this thing off every weekend. And while I'm talking about it, it's not just what happens in this room or all of our auditorium spaces. It happens that way in all of our ministry areas, right? It's not just what we do today either. It's what we do every single day in preschool, in Crossing Kids Extra, the after-school program, in our prison ministry, our missions ministry, our thrift stores, our regeneration program, uh, so many things. And it's never just doing it. I mean, it's never just getting up here and doing it. We're not winging it. We never do that. It's all the preparation for it. The hours and hours that go into studying and rehearsing and cutting out crafts and practicing and ordering and cleaning and connecting and inviting. This is what you see. But just imagine all the things that take place that you don't see. Those are the things that happen behind the curtain. Now, what we're doing is we're in a series now that's talking about the birth of Christ, right? 2,000 years ago. And what I want you to understand is, is that there's a lot that happens behind the curtain there. And I know I'm in Christmas time. You know how I know I'm in Christmas time? Because the Hallmark Channel is going on at the Harris House. That's how I know it's Christmas time. And if for, for some reason, some of you people, some of you just crazy people, keep trying to push the date back up into September. And you wanna watch these rom-coms of the Hallmark Channel. I mean, we have an app now. So as you go directly to it, you don't even have to search for it anymore. And I gotta say that the person who has the easiest job in the entire world today is the script writer for Hallmark Christmas movies. 
Do you know why they have the easiest job? Because there's only one script. All they do is change the actors and the place where it's snowing, and then it's the same thing over again, over and over again, right? Well, you know, you might think that when it comes to lots of stories that get repeated and over and over again, and I started thinking about that. Like, what is the most repeated story of all the stories that were ever told over all time and across all cultures, all over the world, what is the most told and retold story? You know what I think? The birth of Jesus. I really think that the birth of Jesus is the most told story in all human history. I wonder if there could be anything that was more told than that. I think it was told uh, more than even his death on the cross or his resurrection. I think his birth is told more. So I looked it up. I looked it up. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, Google knows everything, you know. And so I and so I said, what are the most often told stories in the entire human experience? And uh, there was a number of, uh, of sites that gave their top 10. And I don't think that I could have told you the basic storyline of five of them. I think you would have to be some kind of insanely smart person to understand like just the basic Outline the very basic building blocks of the storyline of those 10 uh, different stories. Like, you know, I think I could do the Odyssey, but I would struggle on the Iliad. That's two of them. You know, I, I've memorized some of Shakespeare, had to do it in school, but I don't know that I could give you all, like the, the whole storyline of Macbeth. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at these and I'm going, ah, I don't know. I don't know. How many of you know the whole storyline in 1984? And there were some of them I never even heard of before, all right? So I, do, I, was, I don't think those, are, those get anywhere near close to victory. Then I thought, you know what the probably even more told stories are fairy tales. I think most of us could probably tell the basic plot line of a fairy tale, like Red Riding Hood or, or Hansel and Gretel. But you know what? I mean, if, if you tell those stories to your kids, you're kind of abusing them, aren't you? I mean, really, I mean, you're talking about a grandmother being eaten alive by a wild animal, and you're talking about two children that are getting threatened to be put in ovens. So, I mean, Grimm's fairy tale are kind of, kind of spooky things anyway, but I think that the most retold stories in the world are Bible stories, and I think of all the Bible stories, I think that the birth of Jesus would win. And I'm gonna tell you why I think that. Number one, there is a child's version and there's an adult version. And I think every story that needs to be retold has to have a child's version and, a, and an adult version. Do you remember a couple of years ago, uh, we uh, had our, our big Christmas thing at all of our crossing locations and there was a big white present up on all of our stages with a big red bow. Do you remember that? And the kids came in and we gave them all a little battery operated votive candles to, to hold. And then at a particular moment in the service, we had uh, shepherds come up that were in full shepherd uh, outfits. And they came up and they grabbed a hold of the big white present and they opened it up. And inside the white present, there was a nativity scene. 
And all of the children came up with their little lit battery-operated votive candles, and they all knelt down or, or sat down all around the nativity, and they started singing carols. And all the mothers and fathers and grandparents were up here at all of our locations taking all these pictures because it was just so great. It is an incredibly powerful, wonderful children's story. But it isn't just that. Because when you grow up and you get older, you realize that there's a lot more to that story like Mary and Joseph being completely shunned by their family, having to go uh, south to Bethlehem in her nine months by herself, or just the two of them, because the family doesn't travel with them, and, and the scandal that was involved in that, or not being able to find a place to stay, and having to give birth to a child in a barn, or right after that, having Herod threaten uh, the baby's life, kills all the two-year-old and under children in that region. And then Mary and Joseph and the baby have to run for their lives, refugees in Egypt. Yeah, there's a child's version and then there's an adult version as well. I think there's more reasons than that, that it's the greatest story ever. It has a happy ending no matter which version you choose. And I love stories with happy endings. I love the story because the underdog wins. And we all love stories where the underdog wins. I love the story because the arrogant people are brought down low. And I love that too. And there is just this simple beauty of this story. It's just the best story ever. That's all I can say. Now, stories like that, they don't happen by accident. They don't just develop on their own. I mean, behind the curtain, there are infinite preparations that go on for something like that, that appears in time and space. And I'll tell you what, if you want to look at this story, you'll see that there were all these preparations made behind the curtain before the moment actually happened and everything took center stage. Now, when we look at the story of the birth of Jesus, you're right in the front end of the New Testament, right? right at the very beginning of the New Testament. But the Old Testament is where all that behind the curtain stuff happens. It's where the whole story is set up. Because you can look at the Old Testament and there are all these prophecies. And what prophecies are doing is they're setting up the whole plot line so that you'll see that when this finally does play out on the stage of the world, that it was all completely planned. So let's go to the beginning of time. The beginning of time is recorded in the book of Genesis. Now, Genesis was written by Moses, and he wrote it 1440 B.C., 1,440 years before Jesus was born. And the things that he relates in Genesis are things that happened long before, many of them, long before he was born. It goes back to 4,000 B.C., okay? like hundreds and even thousands of years. But let's go to the very beginning. Of course, you know the beginning of the story is the Garden of Eden, God creating everything, and Adam and Eve, and then Adam and Eve sinning by eating of a tree that represented a choice because God gave them a choice of whether to love him or not, and then they chose not to. And then we read this. This is Genesis 3.15, and he is judging the serpent. You know, there are three primary characters, and that's Adam, Eve, and the serpent, okay? God speaks to the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity, that's hatred, 
between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. So it's talking about her offspring. He, male, will crush your head and you will strike his heel, which means that this seed of the woman, this male, is going to come, a human being is going to come and destroy the power of Satan, but it's going to come at great cost to him. Be painful to him as well. Strike his heel, right? So there, So what is God saying in Genesis 3.15? Just the third page in your Bible. A solution is coming to the most basic human problem, and that problem is sin, and the solution is coming in the form of a human being, a man. You get that? Let's go forward to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. God is speaking to Abraham. He's giving him a blessing. And he says, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So what God is saying to Abraham is this human being, this male, is going to be a descendant of Abraham, and he's not going to just solve problems for Abraham's family or Abraham's nation, but the entire world, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed, okay? He would come from Abraham, but he would be for everyone. Let's go forward to Genesis 49.10. The scepter will not depart from Judah, and I'm going to explain who that is in a moment, nor from the ruler's staff from between his feet until... Uh, until he to whom it belongs, that means Shiloh, that's what that's actually translated from Shiloh, uh, shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Now what it's saying now is it's a human being, it's a male, descendant of Abraham, and now it's going down to his great-grandson and saying of the 12 sons of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob, it's going to be Judah. Okay, going to be his descendant. It just keeps focusing and focusing and focusing down. Now, let's go forward in time 700 years to 725 B.C. and to a prophet named Isaiah in your Old Testament. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. In other words, this is something that you're going to need to be looking for. And you'll see that what we're saying, what we've been saying all along is true. A virgin will conceive. Now that is a sign, because that just doesn't happen, right? This is going to be a, a, a miraculous event. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So now it's a human being, it's a male, it's a descendant of Abraham, specifically through Judah's line, and he's going to come through a, a virgin who conceives. So the, uh, he's not going to have a natural human father. He's going to have God as his father, and he's literally going to be God with us, God in human form. Wow, that's getting really specific. Let's go to the ninth chapter verse 1 nevertheless there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress in the past he humbled the land of zebulun and the land of naphtali but in the future he will honor galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the jordan this is a prophecy saying that this 
this male is going to come from this region of the world, the very northern part of Israel, Galilee. So now you can look for a virgin to conceive in Galilee who is a descendant of Judah, okay? Let's go on to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called a wonderful counselor. There it is again, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. So it's eternal, right? He will reign on David's throne. Now there's another clue. And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Now you find out that he's not only coming through Abraham and Judah, but it's also through David. So David is a direct descendant of Judah, and he was king, all right? So now he's going to be king, and he's also going to be God, right? Because he called him everlasting father, right? So that's powerful. Let's go on uh, to the book of Micah, which was written at the same time as Isaiah, chapter 5, verse 2. It says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, there's Judah again, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Now, wait a minute. Didn't they just say a little while ago that he was going to be from Galilee? And now they're saying he's going to be from Bethlehem? Well, Galilee is in the very northern part of Israel, and Bethlehem's on the very southern part of Israel. So that's kind of weird, isn't it? How about this? Let's go to the book of Hosea, written at the same time. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called my son. Stop right there. How in the world could one person be from Galilee, be from Bethlehem, and be from Egypt all at the same time? That's not possible, is it? Oh, it is for you to see right now. You can see that Mary and Joseph were from Galilee, but because of a census in her nine month of pregnancy, they had to travel to Bethlehem to register for the census. And so the baby that she was pregnant with was born while they were in Bethlehem. And because Herod was wanting to kill him, they had to escape with their lives to Egypt. And after Herod died, they were told that in a dream and then went back up to Galilee. So all three are true. By the way, if Jesus was trying to fake it, if Jesus was trying to fake it and kind of make people think he was the Messiah, how in the world do you fake things that pertain to your birth? How do you do that? Things that are written thousands of years before you were even born. Think about that. Let's go on. In Jeremiah chapter 23, it says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Matter of fact, all the kings were evil when we read the Old Testament until you get to Jesus. And if you read Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3, there are genealogies in both of those that prove that Jesus was the child of, of David by bloodline through Mary and by legal right through Joseph because as you know Joseph was not his natural father God was only legally was he his father 
but not through blood, because a virgin conceived. So specific, so detailed. Let's go to one more, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. I'll send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord. This is telling us that he would have someone who would come before him and announce him. And we know that was John the Baptist. Now that happened in 460 BC. So we just went through a thousand years of prophecy, a thousand years of prophecy written down that actually spans nearly 4,000 years. And then once you get to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, silence. 400 years of silence, not a prophet, not a word written down, not a single prophecy to be had about this coming king, silence. Makes you wonder if any of it was ever even true. But in reality, what it's doing is creating this vacuum of interest, this desire, this anticipation that could only be filled with the Messiah, that could only be filled with Jesus. Now, you may not understand that on such a wide scale, but you understand it on a narrow scale. I certainly do. I remember when the first Harry Potter movie came out in 2001. And some of you were those people that read the books, and some of you were the people as parents said that, you know, it's all about witchcraft, so stay away from it. I got all that. But anyway, came out in 2001. The last of the series came out in 2011. So those uh, movies went over a 10-year span, and you would just wait for a year or two years for that next one, anticipating that next episode to come out, right? The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, 2001 to 2014, 13 years, most of which was waiting for that next installment. What's that gonna look like? What's gonna happen next, right? Some of you aren't into epic fantasy. Maybe you're more into comics. Okay, how about Marvel Avengers, 2008 to 2019, 11 years, mostly of anticipation. And the mother of all sequel series for all time, Star Wars, 1977 to 2019, 42 years of anticipation. Grandparents were standing in line with their grandchildren going, I remember back in 1977, I was standing in this line and it went around the building four times anticipation. You get caught up in it, don't you? You get caught up in anticipation for the next episode when it hits the screen or it hits the stage. It's such a big deal. And do you know what? The Bible says the same thing. Galatians chapter four, starting in verse four, it says, but when the set time had fully come or the or the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law <clears throat> that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit who calls out, Daddy, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. Yeah, because slaves don't call him Daddy. 
but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Now the scripture tells us all that prophecy was to set up this one event, but it takes you to another level, a level that you've never been before. Let's look at this scripture one more time. Because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Do you know what the next level is? You're in the story. Do you know what makes the story of the birth of Christ so incredible? You're in it. You're in it. This story is so big, so deep, so wide. The entire human race can fit on the stage and play a part in its production. That's important. Let me tell you why that's so important. Ed Stetzer, excuse me, recently quoted uh, an author named David Brooks, a relatively new believer in Christ and a New York Times columnist from an article that he wrote for the Atlantic Magazine. He said this, see if you agree with it. Levels of trust in this country, in our institutions, in our politics, and in one another, are in precipitous decline. Do you agree with that? I mean, how can you not? I mean, that's like a Captain Obvious statement. But it was the next part of this quote that really hit me. And when social trust collapses, nations fall. Now, when I think of the definition of trust and faith, I I see them as pretty close together. People are grasping at straws right now for something to trust in. They're just having a hard time finding a place for it. Now, all this setup that happened in the Old Testament to go behind the curtain, that's what it's for. It's for you to believe the truth of this story. It's for you to let it into your heart and to put your faith in it, and to put your trust in it. Jesus said it this way. It's in Luke chapter 18, verse 8. He said, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, that's not saying that there won't be any faith on the earth. It's just saying, God, what Jesus is pointing out is, is the faith that people have all going to be in the wrong place? You see, <clears throat> this might hit you funny, but you all, everyone listening to me, you all have exactly the same amount of faith. There are not some of you that have great faith and some of you that have no faith. You all have the same amount. We all have the same amount of faith. That's not the question. The question isn't how much faith you have. It's who your faith is in. Hear what I'm saying? 
So when Jesus says, will he find faith on the earth? He's talking about faith in him. Some of you are going, well, I read a scripture one time that said, the Lord increase our faith. Basically what he's saying is, take it out of the bank of yourself. Take it out of the bank of all the other things that you think are important and put it in the bank of God. It's not how much faith you have. It's who your faith is in. Now, I don't want to be a spoiler. You know, you know, those people that tell you the end of the movie and then you just want to like not be their friend anymore. But I'm going to do it right now. There is no wizarding world. Just a fantasy. There is no Middle Earth. All you people that dress up and go to these, you know, conventions, sorry. And the lightsaber that you construct <laughs> at Disney World when you go to the, it really doesn't do what their lightsabers do. And there are no superhuman Avengers that are protecting our planet right now. I know I'm ruining it for you. And if I haven't finished you off yet, there is no long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> However, there is a very real Bethlehem. I've been there. And there's a very real stable. I've been down in that cave. And there was a very real couple with a pregnant virgin woman who gave birth to a very real baby in that stable and laid him in a manger, and that manger is still there, made of stone. And there was a very real star that appeared in the sky that led very real wise men to find that young child. And there were very real shepherds that heard angels speaking and singing to them that went to see that baby in that manger that night. And that newborn baby was really God in the flesh and he came to die, really die, on a real Roman cross and shed his very real blood for our very real sins. And he was buried in a real borrowed tomb. And he rose again on the third day for real. It's not a fairy tale. And it all began with the birth of Jesus. And it is a story that you have been invited into. And God allowed you to get behind the curtain so you could see the truth of it. I want you to think about that as we move to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.